expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Thank you for arriving in episode 102 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where we think Super Friday is much more appropriate than Super well, Tuesday. Exactly. You know, of course, we had Super Tuesday this week, and I voted for Super Mario because I think his platform to pretty much kick all the Koopas out of the Mushroom Kingdom is what we need. You know, we need a plumber, James, to go on Castle Hill and unclog the shitty toilet that is the king and queen of the Mushroom Kingdom. We're going to build a big warp pipe and we're going to make Bowser pay for it. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful warp pipe. It's going to be huge. There's going to be lots of question boxes all over the place. Mario and Luigi are going to win again. <laughs> he gets off his like private jet in the Tanuki suit. <laughs> Uh, and he can kind of turn himself to stone. So that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the cornerstone of any good candidate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm James with him alongside. The Merkwick one-armed Nick Pataglia. And man, last week was so fun. We had a lot of fun talking about Empty Zone last week. I'm still like kind of on a high from reading it. Yeah. Because it's so just balls to the walls all the time. You know, it's just throttle down the entire book if you've read the graphic novel the first volume you understand and i can't wait for issue six it's gonna be awesome i like licked the pages and i'm still seeing sounds and hearing colors i mean it's just an amazing story and the fact that jason sean alexander was able to create it now kind of excited that dara savage is going to come on now he was editing now he's going to be co-writing yeah. issue six and i mean it just sounds like they've got a lot of great ideas going forward and they've got plans way beyond that first volume, which I love about Image Comics. We've talked to so many creators that have that mindset, too, and I love that. Exactly. You know, you talk to somebody like Jason and like Dara who just have this vision and they know what they want to do with it. And that's the thing we love about Image Comics is that they're willing to take the risk and go with things like Empty Zone. Like, honestly, you wouldn't see Empty Zone at Vertigo or yeah. another imprint of a well, major company. maybe Vertigo. Maybe. I, I don't know, man. I mean... Looking at some of the stuff that Vertical Vertigo's put out, I just don't see it. But Image is just the perfect thing because Image, you have things like Saga and things that are really out there, and then and this works. Like Empty Zone works to a fucking T, you know. And, and it, it's a great book. It's a it's a great read. And it's a couple times you're gonna have to do some double takes. Like, wow, does this just happen? Is this person mm-hmm. really this? You know. And and it, I love books that bring you to a world that you know could happen or, or just you know quite possible in the future. I'm not saying people are walking around with squid implants in their faces, but, you know, I mean, it's just really, really interesting. It brings up a really interesting thing of, like, technology and, like, what's, how we, you know, transfer files and information through touch. And it's, like, you know, a reflection on, like, hey, remember back in the 90s and the 80s and prior to those years when everybody used to, like, talk to one another and before this whole texting thing and Facebook and everything else? Well, electricity is gone, so now we have to revert back to the whole touching somebody and going face-to-face interaction and stuff like that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's just the future sci-fi cyberpunk. 
I love it. If you've never tried out the genre before, Empty Zone's definitely the way that you want to try it out. And we've got a bunch of other stuff coming up for you this week, too. Exactly. But come up next, we have two new comics we're going to be reviewing this week. Because what reading is coming up next right here on Down and Nerdy? Hey, this is comic book creator Jason Sean Alexander, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. All right, nerds, it's time to take out those long boxes and discuss what we're reading this week. Of This segment is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fancy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragorn Boulevard. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for your nerd heart and the nerds that you love. All right, Nick, I'm going to go first this week, and I actually decided to do something from Dark Horse. It's not going to be out for a few weeks, actually. It's going to be part one of a six-part series called The Shadow Glass, and it was actually written and art was done by Allie Fell, letters by Nate Pikus, and also the cover by Allie Fell. And it was actually, if you look at the cover, Nick, I know you read this too, it is beautiful. It is a very, very beautiful cover, and I mean, the art in the book is, in of itself, beautiful as well, so... Without further ado, I'll let you go forward with the story. I mean, I read it too, but this is your review, so go ahead. And basically, we're talking about 16th century London, and you see them sailing down the Thames, and it's, you know, you kind of paint a picture, even though the art's right on the page, it kind of takes you back to, you know, maybe something cinematic that you might have seen from from the uh, British days. And yeah. It's really kind of about, it. it starts out kind of innocently, where a guy named Thomas, he's getting off the ship. He's, you know, he just came back from America. He's bringing the goods back to England. And he comes to his friend Adam's house. And Adam says, this is my wife. And that's where everything goes off the rails. Yeah, so pretty much they take, like, Adam's wife. They do some sort of, like, seancing thing. And he says, look at this, you know, this object I have, you know, called the shadow glass. And all of a sudden there's tentacles that pick her up and something happens and we don't really know so i mean it's it's wild dude and that's just it the the one thing i actually kind of like about this book is that you don't really know what the power of the shadow glass is right even at the end of the book but actually after that happens you fast forward 20 20 plus years to her daughter rosalind and rosalind is your typical rebellious young woman who is kind of living outside of her own time. You know, she doesn't want to follow the rules. She doesn't want to be a lady. She wants to carry a sword. So it almost reminds me of kind of Game of Thrones. A yeah. little bit in that regard. Maisie Williams' character yeah. in Game of Thrones. That's what it really reminds me of. She's like, I don't want to be a girl. I want to do what I want to do. I want to carry a sword. And I hate dresses and stuff like that. So... And then she starts to find out that pretty much the entire life that she's been living is a lie. And she finds out the truth about her mother and a couple of other things. And we don't even really know the truth about her mother. So then it's your typical, she goes to seek answers. And let's just say at the end of the issue, there's a big reveal that you kind of don't think you're going to get as you're reading it. You kind of don't think you're going to get this reveal until later on in the series. But they give it to you. Right at the end of the first issue, which I think was really neat. I don't want to spoil it because I don't no. want, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And I don't want anybody to go into this my, book spoiled. So. My, my, I know this is the book I'm reviewing this week, but I quickly just want to say that when I read this, I kind of wasn't really grabbed by the story at all. I felt that this was very much your typical. It honestly felt like I was reading a soap opera. Like, it really did. And, I'm, and it was kind of part of it was like, oh, cool, this has happened with her family and this is everything else. You know, it just wasn't really well, grabbing me. And the thing, the thing at the end, I was just like, eh. Well, when I was reading this, the first thing, I, about halfway through, I thought, okay, this book isn't written for me. 
So when I realized that, I was like, okay, so when I review this, I need to make sure I'm reviewing this from the perspective of the of who this book is written for. This book is not written for a 36-year-old man, okay? Let's just put that out there right now. <laughs> this, is, I, this, is, this is like for the Jane Austen crowd. This is of. a f- older female, maybe yeah. late teens to to maybe even up to 30-year-old female book with a, with a strong female character that's a little bit rebellious. I mean, honestly, this is not written for most men, okay? Yeah. And I'm not saying men can't enjoy this book, but that's not what this book is written for. And to me, that's okay. And that's the reason that for, for my rating for this, I'm going to give this a pickup because it's not for most guys. You're not going to get that action, adventure kind of sense from this book. But the story does have its intriguing moments, uh, probably more intriguing for some than for others. So I don't want to judge it too harshly because it's not for me. So I'm trying to put myself outside of uh, my own personal preference and say that for a lot of, especially women, I think will enjoy the story. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a pickup. And this book doesn't come out for another few weeks yet. So you've got a chance to kind of think about it a little bit. Exactly. And, you know, my comic this week, I decided to kind of go back to a realm that I really do love and enjoy. And, of course, it's the Army of Darkness realm. And Dynamite has a new series out called Army of Darkness Furious Road. And James is written by our friend Nancy Collins. Nice. And it's illustrated by Cooper Ball. And the color, colors are done by Shimmery's Ball as well. And here's the thing. If you're a fan of the Army of Darkness series, you're going to love this. But here's the only thing, though. Go into this knowing you're not really going to get a lot of story. It's very A to B. There's not much in between. And pretty much it starts off with these monsters. And it's connected to the other Army of Darkness series as well from Dynamite. So, you know, these monsters are are leaving Detroit or or entering Detroit, I should say. And they're trying to find this, you know, area. And, of course, you know, the Deadites are after them as well because it's starting to get dark out. So they find this place, of course, it's the S-Mart. And, you know, I'm pretty much, there's not much given as to why they're going there. They're just pretty much saying, you know, we need to find, you know, kind of like a shelterish kind of thing. But right. there's, there's no real meat as to why they're going there. And, of course, Ash shows up. And there's not, I, I'm sorry if my review is very bland, but there's not much to this. Like I said, it's very A to B, so pretty much it's, them in a pack, these monsters were, you know, whomever in a pack just driving towards this, the S Mart, which is like their goal area. And there's some references along the way, like when they first find the, the S Mart, they're like, wait, is this where we're supposed to be? Like, I've pictured a library or a cabin in the woods. And I, I'm not <laughs> gonna lie, that did get me laughing a little bit. But I mean, like I said, if you're going to this thinking, like, okay, I'm gonna get some nice explanation, I'm gonna get some like deep, deep info about this in, in this whole series. Don't go into those expectations. It's very, like I said, it's very, it's not that it's bad. It's just very A to B. It's very linear. You know what I'm saying? Like, So do you think you this reads more of like maybe a zero issue than a number one issue for a series? I don't know. Say? To me, it reads more like if you, it's 24 pages. But if, to me, it's, if you honestly have like, a, are looking for something to read quick, this is something you would read. And this, this is something you're not looking for much of a story to. This is something you would read. Like something that you don't have to get so attached to and have to like really read slowly and stuff like that because you have to get all the information in. So it's an easy read. It's an easy read is go. what it is. Exactly. Like I said, you know, Ash shows up. There's a couple lines that are pretty funny. Nancy's writing is really good. For, you know, like I said, it's not a bad book. 
But it's a series where I'm like, I'm not really, even though I'm a fan of Army of Darkness and and, and that whole Evil Dead genre and, and era and, and, and franchise, this is not. This is something like, okay, I read the first issue. Maybe when I'm done reading all the other comics, I might come back to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's not like, oh my god, this is a dead. You know, this is fucking amazing. I gotta put this in my poll immediately. Uh, for me, it's a pickup. And like I said, it's not a bad book at all. I know it's the first issue, but again, there wasn't really a lot of meat to the story. Uh, and I kind of honestly, it kind of felt a little bit like. Because like I said, it was a little bit of like it was like a little word bubble, like see Evil Dead issues eight through eleven or whatever like that, for what some of the things that they're talking to Ash about. And I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like there's no, you know, especially with these monsters, these people who are monsters and stuff like that. There really isn't uh. a good entry point. This feels like it's just jumping from one series into the next. So it's, it's almost like you picked up the second volume. Yeah. And you thought it was a jumping in point and it really wasn't kind of thing. That's what I'm exactly. kind of getting the sense of. Exactly. But I mean, like I said, it's a good, the art is phenomenal. The art is great to look at. Uh, like I said, the writing, it's very simple. It's, and that's not a bad thing. It's, you know, it, but the story and the whole book itself progresses very fast. I read it's another 10 minutes. Wow. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Like, it's a few quick word bubbles, and then there you go. And a lot of the pages are just mostly action, and it's and it's brilliant. Like some of the art is just it's amazing. You know, you feel like you're there. You know, when the deadites are coming after these monsters and everything else. But again, for me, it's a pickup. And that's gonna do it for this week and what we're reading. But come next is this week in Geek Tainment. Stay tuned. More down nerdy. Come next. This is comic book editor and co-writer Dara Savage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, for this week in Geek Tamit, Nick and I decided to take one more trip to Hollywood and discuss the Agent Carter finale. Now, Nick, the only question is, what kind of a finale are we talking here? Right, and here is the thing. We say that because, as we all know, Haley Atwell signed on to be part of another ABC show, and then, of course, the showrunner's leaving the show as well. And then here comes the ratings for the finale, which, of course, tie the all-time low for the... Uh, for the show, and that's not good at all. It pulled in about 2.3 million viewers. Now, that's before DVR, but really how much does DVR add, we won't right. know. But, yeah, it's insane. Now, i got to be honest, though, and it bums me out, man. Before we get to start talking about the actual finale itself, it bums me out because this show had such a strong season. I mean, the fact that, I mean, we liked season one as well, but we we also admitted that it kind of, trailed off a little bit as well but at the same time man it just had such a strong season and i have no idea why you would just kind of can it at this point i mean i get that the showrunner's leaving Haley atwell's leaving maybe they don't have a choice but just the, the season that they had well, it was interesting the story was good man well i want to bring it up Haley atwell's not leaving it's just she got cast right, on another show. show yeah that's so, a good clarification yeah yeah so she's not leaving and everything like well can she just juggle the two shows but again when she, it shows that she's getting another show on the same network that's kind of that could and that's you know a lot of people are saying that's what caused the ratings to drop for the finale uh and i i just think that right now we're in a I'm not gonna lie, I think we're in a Constantine-esque thing with Agent yep. Carter, but it's not really more with the ratings. Because remember, Marvel's Most Wine got greenlit, so Pierre saying is that can take the place of Agent Carter. What's gonna happen I mean, with that? It seems like it, yeah. At this point, it seems like that's what's gonna happen. But I mean, just looking at the finale for a second, the whole storyline with Zero Matter they had 
uh, when Everett's been fantastic as Madame Mask, and I know that there was some worry there because taking a different take on the character, and anytime you do that, there's a little bit of a risk, but I think she pulled it off beautifully, and leading up to the finale, you know, we talk about how in order for a show to be successful, you have to care about the characters. I care, legitimately cared about so many characters in this season of Agent Carter that I it kept me invested. Well, yeah, I mean, you have characters like Jarvis who got a much bigger arc this season. James Darcy just did a phenomenal job with him. Of course, Dr. Wilkes was in- introduced, and he did great. Of course, now he's working for Stark. Uh, as the finale shows towards the end. And, yeah, I mean, you get so invested with these characters. And, you know, it's just now it's in limbo. The show's in limbo. And, again, what do we want to say from the beginning? And what do we want to see from the beginning? We want to see S.H.I.E.L.D. be formed. And now it's like, really? Like, you're going to, you know, possibly pull the plug on this when we just got so invested in it. And now it's just like, you know, Peggy's Files got – stolen at the end of the episode uh-huh. so that brings up the mystery and that brings up intrigue and it's like you know like again they they greenlit marvel's most wanted so you're just like man i don't i don't know i, I don't know if i'm thinking well, marvel's making the right move and again this is gonna be spoiler filled because it's our review and you know you guys probably should have seen it by now at least on your dvr but like we were talking off air there's a ballsy ending to this like you were saying that when we see, again, spoiler alert, guys, Jack Thompson is murdered at the end of the finale. Yeah, and we don't know by who, but the person steals Peggy's, the redacted folder, right. pretty much. And that's just, again, that's a ballsy move, given the circumstances surrounding the show. And, you know, with that, let's dive into the finale itself. So, of course, Whitney Frost pretty much has gone insane. Right oh, now. she's like, completely lost. I mean, she's, she's Arkham worthy. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. she's drawing on the walls and everything else, and you know, the zero man is calling to her, and it's just I love what they did with whenever and and her character Whitney Frost oh, because again, it's a different Whitney Frost from the comics. She's not the assassin sharpshooter. She's the scientist, smart person. However, I will say this about the character: the final confrontation with Whitney Frost and Peggy Carter was very anticlimactic. I agree with that, but can I just say one thing? If if I could come back in another life, yeah, I would come back as Howard Stark, Dominic oh, yeah. Cooper. Man alive, every time this guy is on the screen, small or large, I love the guy. I mean, if you were born to play a character, he was born to play Howard Stark. I would... I would love to see, like, a Howard Stark spinoff, even if they didn't want to do Agent Carter anymore, because, man, he's just, he's absolutely amazing as Howard Stark. And just that, the scene where Jarvis hits Whitney Frost with the car, he sticks his and says, Jarvis, you just hit a woman with my car. And it's like, oh, she's resilient. She'll be fine. Everybody in the car now, kind of thing. But, but he goes, Jarvis, she's a two-time Oscar nominee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Come on! It's like the guy could have chemistry with anybody on screen. He's I mean, just Dominic, that good. I mean, Dominic Cooper's just a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. I can't wait to see what he does with Preacher. But, I mean, you know, again, Howard Stark he just, like, just like, brings that charisma. And I think that, you know, at the right time, he brings that charisma that the show needs. Mm-hmm. 
uh, especially in the finale. You know, I mean, the scene where they're kind of putting together that that box and the, and the gun and everything else, and uh, he's kind of flirting with uh, the receptionist there. Oh, that was great. And she's like, "Oh, you can call." He's like, "You can call me Howard." And then uh, the one scientist is like, "I can call you Howard too." Right? He's like, "No, <laughs> no, you can't. no, you can't." I mean, but, it's just it's amazing, man. The he, chemistry is just phenomenal between the everybody. whole cast. Yeah, that's what's that's what sucks, man. And I know we keep talking about this, like this show is is over and it's done but like you were saying i think you brought up a perfect point earlier i'm getting that constantine vibe where even though things were so good and it had a good story that just feels like it's it's doomed and i don't want to feel that way and i did it and i what i loved about the season and especially in the finale too as well leading up to the finale was we got a side of Jarvis we never saw before. Oh, we, so many we, layers, yeah. We got the husband Jarvis. Like, we got the, you know, his wife gets shot by Whitney Frost, and he wants, he's very vengeful. And, you know, it, it, and it, it comes to terms where he's kind of, like, questioning, am I the strong man that she was married, that she wanted, and stuff like that. And he, it was great to kind of see that, that conflict between, within him and it was great to give him and again james darcy just did a phenomenal job oh, yeah, absolutely and of course you know Souza as well did a great job as well and uh you know again they did a great job just carrying the momentum there wasn't really a time or a part where i'm watching the finale or really this this, this season all where it lagged and it did a really great job like i it kept my interest the entire way through right i mean and even though they went to two-hour episodes towards the end of the season, I know you're a cord cutter, so you don't have this option, but for those of us that still do traditional cable, and you have the option, you're just like, okay, I can DVR this, or I can watch this live. And Agent Carter, this season, was one of those shows I felt like I had to watch live, because I really want, I was really invested in wanting to see what happens. And I think that, in 2016... I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can give a show anymore. Right. And again, like you bring in guys like Reggie Austin to play Jason Wilkes and whenever to play Whitney Frost and the list just goes on and on and on. And it just, it, it really meshes well. It really captured the area era of the forties and stuff like that, that era to a T. And again, while the end thing with Whitney Frost and how they defeat her sort of pretty much is very anticlimactic. You expected more given the fact that – I got to say this. The one person that surprised me the most who I loved was Ken Marino. Yes. Ken Marino yes. played a really, really great role sort of as he kind of off – on off love interest towards the end of Whitney Frost. And again, you know, he's a game. I can't think of his name right now, but uh, – the F- Manfredi, Joseph Manfredi. There you go. Uh, you know, I like kind of like how he, Manfredi kind of teams up with the gang to kind of say, you know, she's not my Whitney that I love, and she's somebody totally different. You know, the zero man is changing her. He did a really great job, and I, I liked it. I, I think it was a great job by everybody around. Again, the only drop I would have about the show was that the end conflict wasn't really that climactic at all. It was pretty much, okay, she's going to show up here, we're going to do this, and they end up doing it, where there's no, like, something goes wrong kind of thing. You it's know? funny, too, because it's almost like in the last episode, the rift itself became the big bad and not Whitney Frost. Right. For that one episode. Not throughout the season, but for that one episode, because that looked like that was the endangering thing. And not that there's anything wrong with that, because they kind of built that up a little bit, especially with the Zero Matter and stuff like that. But I agree, I would have liked to see a little bit more of a battle. 
Yeah. And I want the way that that ended. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Red State that was directed by Kevin Smith, but the ending of Red State is very similar to the ending conflict uh, with Whitney Frost, where you know uh, Michael Parks' character they hear like this big horn siren thing and they're going all nuts, and it's kind of like representative of the rift. So it reminded me of that, and it was kind of pretty. It was pretty cool how they did that. But again, it wasn't really that climactic. But the writing was just so much more funnier this season. It, I think, it, it was more fluid. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think part of it is the setting. It took place in Los Angeles, outside of New York. You know, outside of New York, and so I think it's just it captured that. You know, somebody who lived in Los Angeles, it captured. That L.A. spirit, I'll say, you know, that that character, the city kind of came became a little bit of itself, you know. I mean, it it, it was great. I, I think the finale, while the end was really anticlimactic, I think it was a great job overall. I liked how you know Wilkes, they kind of you know said, okay, he's going to work for Stark now. He's going to be doing this. But one thing I loved, I love how they tied the loose end with Souza and Carter at the end. The whole kind of a love triangle. They tied it up at the end, which was great. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, that was one of the things I was going to bring up too, but the one thing, and I'm never this guy, but I'm going to be this guy today. The music in yeah. this in this series, especially in the finale, it brought you to the time period. And that's one of the things that music has to do when it's involved in films or in television shows. And I think that they did that beautifully. It captured, like you said, the LA atmosphere and the time period itself so a beautiful job. So I think the only thing we have left to do right now is, Nick, and let's do this not just as the finale, but the season as a whole. Let's give our rating for the season, season two, hopefully not the final season of Agent Carter. Right. Okay, so I really hope that we do get a season three. I, again, I really want to see how S.H.I.E.L.D. was formed and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the characters in it. I felt that we got more depth to them, even the ones like Ken Marino, who played him in Freddy, who was only in it for five episodes this season. They gave him depth. They gave him reason. Each character, I felt, had a purpose when they were on screen. It wasn't just like a throwaway. Even, you know, you want to go back to Kurtwood Smith especially, you know, who did a phenomenal job as well. Again, the writing was great. The music was phenomenal. Uh, I like how they did tie up a lot of loose ends. And I like the fact that we got some depth, especially with Jarvis. And we got to see a side of him we never really saw before. Uh, Whitney Frost, I felt like. You know, given the fact that she goes pretty much insane in the end and pretty much, you know, the way they, they changed her character around from the comics, it worked, especially for this era where she's this, you know, scientist and she, again, the, the science makes her go insane. Uh, it was phenomenal. I got to give this eight out of ten hover cars. Nice, nice. I got to say that I'm going to add on to that a little bit. Uh, from some of the stuff you said. I love the fact that they brought back the on-again, off-again douchebag nature of Chad Michael Murray's character yeah. and Jack Thompson. Great job there. I mean, even bringing back Dottie Underwood for those couple of episodes, yeah. they, like you said, they, when they brought somebody and, back or they had somebody in for a limited amount of time, they gave them a purpose. And, and really quickly, I want to talk about Chad Michael Murray's portrayal of Jack Thompson. He did such a great job because I think in this, in this season alone, Jack Thompson was probably one of the top three characters in the show because... You never knew. Was he a good guy? Was right. he bad? You never knew. And he played him so damn well that, again, he he, uh, he did a fantastic job. I mean, bring, even uh, the heartbreaking nature of what the Jarvis family had to go through and, 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 uh, and uh, Lottie Verbeek was amazing. So I got to I gotta be honest, man. I'm going to give this eight rifts out of ten. 
Oh, okay. And, and really quickly, one thing I want to talk about really quickly too is I liked again we mentioned this um, when with the first when we did the first episode of, of Agent Carter. I like the fact that given the fact that it's 1940s, they did have that interracial connection and like yes. kind of a love connection between Jason Wilkes and. Peggy Carter. I did like that because that's something you never really get to see a lot of, especially in, in things that take place in that time. And he gets a big time job at the yeah. end too that wouldn't have necessarily been available for African Americans at the time. So we're just kind of hoping that we're going to get a season three of Agent Carter. Maybe, maybe not, but if this is where it ends, what a way to go out. But speaking of endings, we're going to end this week in Geektainment and turn over a new nerd news next on Down and Nerdy. Hi, this is Wynn Everett, and I'm from Marvel's Agent Carter, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, folks, grab your proton packs, and let's go to New York City, because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And our first story, of course, probably one of the biggest stories of the week is that the Ghostbusters trailer was released online. And you're thinking, why isn't this This Week in Geektainment? Well, it was actually breaking news for us during the week. So we're like, you know what? It's nerd news. Let's talk about that. And we've kind of, we've discussed this movie on again, off again, but I think we both kind of reserved our feelings for when a first trailer came out and it finally did. And I got to tell you, I was pleasantly pleased. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was pleased. Now I will say this. Hollywood it's okay to say that something is a reboot. It's yes. totally fine. Don't be like, oh, well, this isn't the same universe. Well, it's kind of hard to when the whole Ghostbusters thing, come, when they talk about it, and Melissa McCarthy mentions it in the trailer, like, we could provide a service. It's like there was already a service 30 years ago yeah. for, called the Ghostbusters. So it's like, it's confusing. It's like, is it tied? Is it not tied? Apparently there's going to be some cameos from the uh, older movies in there. But, again, it's okay. If you want to make it clean, and like a clean cut, that's fine. Right. And not only that, I mean, you show the old firehouse yep. in the trailer. It's okay if it's a reboot. I know that's like a dirty word now, but it is what it is, and it's still Ghostbusters, and I think you got to be confident about that. And one of the other things that you and I were talking about off the air as we kind of dive into this was... The ghosts. Now, yeah. I don't have a problem with them per se, but especially in the subway scene, you were and I were kind of talking. It's almost like they kind of all look the same. Yeah, maybe? it's it's hard to differentiate the looks of the different ghosts because they're all blue. They all look skeletal. You know, it wasn't really like in the first movie back, you know, 30 years ago, you know, where you had ghosts kind of look differently and stuff like that. It looked a little bit different. Not everybody looked the same, so it might be a little bit tough for that. And again, like I said, if it's a, it, to me it's a reboot because the opening scene we see is that, that library scene. Yep. And uh, here's going to be another, kind of another problem. Is, again, I'm, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm nitpicking, but please tell me not every ghost can shoot slime out of their mouth. Like, I mean, I get that the ectoplasm thing is supposed to be part of paranormal culture, although, I mean, if you're really into the paranormal and you're, right. you're deep into it, that's not really a thing kind of thing, you know? But, so. I, but what made it, but again, and I hate to compare it to the original, but you, you can't help but do it, but what made it that scene with Bill Murray getting slimed such a, a pop culture thing is the fact that you only see it once. It never happens. Right. You know, outside, of course, Stay Puft getting blown up, that's really it. You know what I'm saying? Not only that, it's Bill Murray, and the way he delivers the line, yeah. he slimed me. Really. Yeah. I mean, 
That delivery. You can't recreate that delivery. Right. But again, let's go back to the trailer itself. I'm not gonna lie. I think Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon. I think are gonna steal this movie. Absolutely. I really do. Yeah. I really do. The scene with Leslie Jones where she's, you know, Melissa McCarthy gets possessed by a ghost. That I was laughing. I, I again, I didn't expect. You know, I thought it was like okay, paint by numbers reboot. You know, and. We didn't get Melissa McCarthy falling down at all. So, hey. No. And the first thing I said to you is, dude, if Melissa yeah. McCarthy falls down, I'm going to lose it and not in a good way. Yeah. My favorite scene in the trailer was when Kristen Wiig is going through uh, one of the areas that they're investigating <laughs> and Kate McKinnon's face is just right there in this freeze position. <laughs> and she's got like this hat and a wig on. She's like, what? Is it the hair? Is it the hat? What is it? That, I was rolling at that. That was great. But of course, you know, you get the fan search, you see Slimer in there for a quick second as well. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm looking forward to this because, you know, I'm also, from what I was watching today, I was watching a, uh, not going to lie, I was at the gym and I was watching a women's talk show because it was on at the gym. But well, you got no choice. You're at the gym. Right. But Ozzy Osbourne has a cameo in it. So. Oh, nice. Nice. So. I, I love Sabbath. <laughs> so. We got a small glimpse of Chris Hemsworth in the trailer too. Not yeah. a lot, but 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 definitely a, a little bit. But I got to be honest. At first, I, I wasn't looking forward to this too much. I was a little bit worried and it had nothing to do with the all-female cast or anything like that. It's just your typical reboot worries, right? Yeah. Seeing this trailer and what Paul Feig's been able to do with it, I feel a lot better now, and I knew that I I probably would, I, or maybe I just kind of set the bar to a certain level, and now I'm pleasantly surprised that it seems like it's going to be good. So either way, I'm looking way more forward to it now than I was before. Right, and I think that, you know, of course, you have those detractors say, oh, my childhood was ruined. If you're going to let a trailer, like, like listen, we're both worried at the beginning, like, oh, my God, there's just switching up the, the genders, there's, it's just going to be a reboot like that, but it looks like it's just more than that, and I'm Right. happy about like that's the thing that's why i first i wasn't so really for because i'm like they're just changing the genders and they're just gonna be redoing the first movie but just given what we see in terms of the effects in terms of the lines and the dialogue and stuff like that sure you know they're 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 pretty much you know Kristen wiggins bill murray and mccarthy is dan Aykroyd, and mckinnon is spangler and and leslie jones is ernie hudson's character right. of course we get that but there's more to than just that. Like, yeah. yeah, they're kind of a reincarnation in a sense of those characters. But just, I know it's just a trailer. I know it's about two minutes and 30 seconds. But I feel good about this because they give the women depth. And they're not just, let's take these characters, reverse the genders, and give them the same sort of right. lines and dialogue. And they make them their own, too. I mean, they really yes. let their own personalities shine through, even though they are kind of modeled after certain characters. You're right. They're allowed to have their own personalities, put their own spin on it. And if you're going to do a reboot, yes, it is a reboot. If you're going to do that, that's how you need to do it. Let people make these characters their own. And it looks like that's what they're going to do. Exactly. Speaking of reboot, James, another reboot that's going to be happening. Well, it's going to be on Nickelodeon. It involves something that I grew up in the 90s. This is one of the shows. There's two, maybe three shows I wanted to be on in the 90s. I wanted to be on Double Dare. I wanted to be on Guts. And, of course, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yeah, I think when you're thinking about Nickelodeon shows, especially game shows that were on Nickelodeon, Legends of the Hidden Temple was right there behind Double Dare. Of course, you remember that from the 90s. And now it looks like, Nick, we're going to get something a little different, though. We're actually going to get a TV movie that's going to appear in the fourth quarter of 2016. Exactly. And, of course, you know, 
I'm excited for this because it's going to have elements of the game show in this movie because they're going to have, you know, the steps of knowledge and they're going to have a couple other things in there. And apparently there's going to be some, uh, some cameos by some like red jaguars and purple parrots and silver snakes. So that's going to be pretty interesting as well. So, I mean, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Again, I love what they're doing with this because instead of just bringing it back, the show back, they're saying, you know what? It works as a movie. It really does. It really does. I mean, one of those things, you when you try to do stuff like this, the first thing you think is, really, they're going to take a game show and make a movie out of it? If there's anyone that can do that, it's this one. Because remember that every episode started out with the Olmec and telling you what the artifact was and giving you the history behind it and stuff like that. And then even the challenges kind of, you know, moved that forward as well. And then the hidden temple and stuff, all the different compartments and stuff yep. that they had to go through. And, and watch, when we watch this movie when it comes out, the kids, even after all this time, are still not going to be able to put together the goddamn silver monkey. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. That is going to be an absolute problem. Although It's maybe, three pieces! It's not hard! It's a base, a middle, and a head. I'm thinking maybe they'll make a little joke about that, actually. I yeah, think there'll right. be, be a call back about that. But yeah, and then it was baffled me. How was that difficult to put that thing together? <laughs> then, of course, you had the temple guards that just scared the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah, and then you had, like, the giant trees that would you hug know, you I'm out of nowhere and stuff like that. I'm not going to lie. The little pendants that they would give them, you know, like, hey, this is, if you do this, this is worth a half pendant or a full pendant. And, it, you know, if you got caught by a temple guard, you give them the pendant, you get the, you know, right. the fight on another right. day and go search the temple more. I honestly thought that was made of chocolate when I was a little kid. Well, I, I would have loved they had Legends of the Hidden Temple pendant, like, chocolates. Why didn't they do that for like, I Easter, don't know. like Easter or something? I mean, come on. I don't know. And Olmec is kind of like that stone head. He's kind of like the philosophy teacher you get high with in college and just talk about like philosophy and just history in general. Or like the ancient answer to Knight Rider. <laughs> He's the ancient kid. <laughs> He's the kid of an other world. <laughs> but with a lot of knowledge about history and artifacts and stuff. Exactly. And also they're doing Nickelodeon's also doing a couple of Harold movies that are slated to appear in twenty seventeen as well. So hey, I like that they're going back and, you know, bringing back stuff from the old nineties eras and stuff like that. Grand they're movies now, but and at least they're bringing them back, and that's all that matters. Well, and then they had Splat, which has done really well for them. And, they've, they, you know, they're kind of going through, like, a renaissance period over at Nickelodeon. I think that they want to switch some stuff up a bit, because I think they've got some stuff they feel like is working really well, but other stuff that's not. So I think that they really want to sort of tie it back in and make Nickelodeon what it used to be, because I think that there's always been that little bit missing from yeah. Nickelodeon from, from the 90s era, and I'd like to really see them get back to that. Exactly, exactly. But speaking of relaunching things and stuff like that. Marvel Comics, and this is kind of worrisome to me. I know it is to you as well. Uh, they're going to be reprinting the first three issues of several of their all-new, all-different comics under the imprint Timely Comics. Now, it's going to be debuting in June, and Timely Comics pretty much presents the opening issues of these series in one oversized comic, and they're going to be about three bucks a, a comic. Now, let's talk about the good thing. First of all, the good thing is, is that you get three three issues for three bucks. Right. That's pretty good. We like that. And these are issues that just came out. But here's the thing. If people were reading this already, yeah. if enough people were reading this, why do this? Exactly. And that's what my thing was when this was announced. I said, you know, if people were reading these all new, all different. And the thing is, is that they're not like small time ones. They're all new, all different Avengers. It's Invincible Iron Man, Scarlet Witch. You know, stuff like that. It's like, if people... Venom Space Night. It's like, 
if people were actually reading these, would this be necessary? You know what I'm saying? And it, it, it's just there's whenever, 16 on this list, by right? The way. And whenever Marvel reprints something like this, most of the time it's because they're struggling, and it's just again, give all we want. We don't need timely comics. We just need comics that are good. Introduce us to new characters. And people are saying, like, oh, it's Marvel and DC or whatever. They're not going to reintroduce new characters. They can. And it's not that hard to create new ones. You know, it's just, I mean, again, look at what Image is doing. Look at what a bunch of other indie people are doing. Hell, we talked about, what did we talk about last week with Image Comics? Stop rebooting and resharing stuff. Come up with new ideas. You know right. what I'm saying? And I think that one of the other things that speaks loudly on this list is not just who's on the list. Look at who's not on the list. Miss Marvel, not right. on the list. Spider-Man, not on the list. Guardians of the Galaxy, not on the list. None of the titles from Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's almost like they're giving you a, okay, here's what's working. Here's really what's not not what's working. And I actually like Invincible Iron Man, which is on the list, and I bought that. But now I'm a little pissed. Because now I spent three, four bucks per issue, and I could have got the first three for three bucks. I mean, it's almost like you're not you're not rewarding loyal readers when you do that, right? And that's my problem is that you know you have these readers like yourself, and even like me who read from like issue one well, look on at Deadpool, which is also not on the list, right? I mean, if the first if they released the first three issues of the Deadpool run and it was already in your poll, wouldn't you be a little upset? I'd be pissed because some of those issues are like four or five dollars. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, me I could have gotten like. Uh, these these oversized ones for three, you know, it's just it's all I'm like, saying. It's all we're saying, but I mean, we'll see how it goes. But it's just, just it just goes to show that this all new, all different stuff just isn't working right now for them. I don't think so either. I mean, not in the large scale anyway. I mean, you kind of had to know there were certain titles that were just going to work, and Deadpool was going to work partially, in, in fact, because of the movie too, and the fact that it's still Deadpool. So right. th- I'm sure the movie helped a little bit. I just don't know, man, and, and I get that, okay, here's your jumping on point, but great, okay, so you give them the first three issues, right, mm-hmm. three bucks, but some of these are already on issue six, seven, eight, nine, something like that by the time these come out, so right. you're expecting people to then go back to try, try to, yeah, try to find issue four of Invincible Iron Man in June and see how that works out for you. Right, exactly, and that's the thing, too, is like, you know, with these timely comics, you know, it's 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 weird, you know, I know some people are very OCD when it comes to, like, like I am, you know, when it comes to to buying comics, you want issue one to, to the last, and whatever, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah you and, gotta finish the set, basically. Right, you gotta finish the set, and when you don't have that, it's like it's kind of creates a gap. You're kind of like it it messes with you mentally. Not only that, but what does this do to trades? I mean, we're talking about graphic novels here. You know, I know graphic novels that you know eventually they come out after you know in the middle of a certain run. I mean, so what does this say about your graphic novel sales as well? Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You know, and, and is this kind of, are we seeing, and even now, it's, here's a question that I want to ask. Does stuff like this mean that the graphic novels are going to kind of slow, not come to an end per se, but they're going to be limited releases now? I think to a certain point, yes. Uh, for maybe for certain companies. I, I don't see any reason with them trying to do something a little different, but if you're going to do something like this, 
You have to do it sooner than they are. If you're going to give them the first three issues for three bucks, which again is kind of a smack in the face to to loyal readers that already had it in their pull, but if you're going to do this, you have to do it within reach of a certain number. In other words, you can't give you the first three issues to try and get you hooked when the newest issue that's going to be coming out is issue nine. Exactly, exactly. But that's going to do it for Nerd News this week. But come next... There's a freeze that's coming to Donnery Podcast. That's right. Nathan Darrow, a.k.a. Victor Freeze and Mr. Freeze is coming to our podcast. Talk about Gotham on Fox. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Chloe Dextra, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, as we talked about in our 100th episode, this is the Wrath of the Villains on Gotham this season. Of course, you can watch every Monday night at, at 8 o'clock, and we are very happy to have one of the, what we like to call, Big game changers of this season. It's Nathan Darrow, a.k.a. Victor Freeze. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm pretty well. How are you? We're doing good. So what has it been like since this week's episode that recently aired where we got a much bigger look at you? What has your life been like since uh, this week's episode? It's been the same other than, um, you know, I had some friends reach out to me. And that's been nice. (laughs) That's always good. You know, you get people that, that enjoy your work. Yeah. And, and actually, this season, they've been calling it the Wrath of the Villains on Gotham, but it's not really that easy with Victor Freeze early on anyway. So when we first meet him in the midseason premiere, like we were talking about, do you think that he really considers himself a villain, given the circumstances? No, I think he's, he's trying to do the best thing he can for, uh, for his family, and, and his family is just his wife. And something that people might not know about you, Nathan, is that you have a deep background in theater. You actually played Romeo in the Shakespeare Festival's production yeah. of Romeo and Juliet in Kansas City. What similarities do you see between a character like Romeo and a character like Victor? And is there any advantages between playing the two? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I have not investigated the parallel between uh, Romeo and Victor, but it's interesting. Um, certainly his his, I would say, romantic and, I mean, almost spiritual devotion to one person, I mean, or, or singular devotion to one person. Um, and actually, in some of the, uh, you know, I did a little bit of research in some of the backstory of, of Victor, and of course, there's myriad backstories, and I just kind of tried to find the ones that were interesting to me and useful to me, but one of the ones I found um, suggested that Victor and Nora got together when I think they were in college. So, uh, so I just kind of thought of them as, you know, young lovers or younger lovers and, and mm-hmm. now where they are and what they've, what they've come through. So, oh no, have you seen, have you seen the, the next episode? You haven't, have you? No, we haven't seen the one that's coming up next week. No, no we're, okay. we're trying, we're trying not to spoil it for everybody. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was, I was venturing into spoiler territory. So, uh, Moving on. <laughs> well, speaking of moving on, we talk about Nora and and uh, their relationship. We kind of see at the end of the midseason premiere that Nora finds out about what Victor's been doing, and that's a story yeah. that we really don't know much about from the comics, actually. So, how much of Victor's life are we going to kind of see unravel in the upcoming episodes? Again, trying to not spoil anything, obviously. Well, I'm, I mean, I think it's pretty clear by the end of the episode that you've seen kind of what a little bit of what's next for him. I mean, he, he knows now that he has the formula, the proper formula, but now, you know, she's in custody. So he's got to get to her. So he's just going to, you know, he's going to keep going after that. He's going to, 
you know, keep trying to execute this plan of of getting her, you know, safely frozen so that a cure can be found. We're talking with Nathan Darrow, a.k.a. Mr. Freeze, and Victor Freeze from Gotham, which can be seen Monday nights on Fox, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So, Nathan, I want to talk about that final scene in the Gotham Police Station where you turn yourself in. What was your mindset like going into that scene, knowing you're going to have that eureka moment? I remember that that was my first day on the show. Uh, and those are always, those are always, uh, you know, kind of loaded up because you're, uh, it's all brand new and you just met everybody and, you know, you're, you're a little bit nervous. Um, I mean, I, of course I was trying not to, trying not to think about the Eureka moment coming, you know, I was trying to just let it happen, you know, but, but, you know, you're also thinking about, you know, how, how can I, uh, you know, what can I do to tell this story? Uh, you know, well and in an interesting way. You know, I I was just trying to do it the best I could, you know. That's a heck of a scene to have to shoot on your first day on set, too, because we know that they're not necessarily shot in order, yeah. but to shoot that one before some of the other ones, that, that's got to be a little bit of a monkey wrench, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, that's the job. And, and also, you know, it's funny, the whole shooting on a secret thing. I mean, it is, yeah, it is a challenge, it's different from doing a play. You kind of, you know, you have the whole thing, you're going through it. But, I mean, even doing a play, you know, you got to prepare yourself for the first scene. And the first scene is always in the middle of somebody's life. So, you know, um, it's all sort of a question of whether you can, you know, just get your attention properly directed, I guess. Danny Hawk was fantastic. Uh, and, you know... He helped a lot. I mean, just just kind of working working off of him uh, in in that scene, uh, and then also in the, the scene in the pharmacy, uh, just made made my job way easier. Oh, absolutely. And somebody else that joined you in the midseason premiere is BD Wong, who we talked to a couple of episodes ago in our hundredth yeah. episode as Hugo Strange, and it seems like. Based on what we saw, that Strange is going to have his sights set on Victor as we're going forward. So, yeah. what was it like working with him on set? And if you can let us know without spoiling anything, what was it like with those two characters interacting? BD is is great. Um, he's a, a total gentleman, and he's a wonderful actor. And uh, you know, he was he was playful, and he was uh, you know he was great, great to be with, and great to work with. Yeah, the relationship is, is so interesting. I mean, it's uh, it's sort of it's sort of still budding. So uh, I'm I'm as, as curious as you. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like I think um, I mean Hugo Strange clearly is one of these really really uh, calculating people, you know, who kind of see many many moves ahead. It seems mm-hmm. like on the board. And I don't necessarily think Victor is, is as much like that, although Victor, as we see, has, you know, plenty of intelligence and passion and drive. So it seems like a kind of, at this point, a, uh, an adversarial partnership, let's say. If you can go back in time, freeze someone, and bring them to the present, who would it be and why? Freeze someone? Yeah, if you go back in time and say, you know, like Shakespeare, here, I'm going to freeze you and I'm going to bring you to 2016 and see how you interact with people. Like, if you could do that to somebody, who would it be? 
gosh. I don't know. Um, well, uh, I've been thinking about my grand grandmother a lot lately, uh, and she's dead, and uh, I would <laughs> I think it would be her. That's, <laughs> that's an a, answer. That's a Great wonderful answer. answer. He loves his grandmother. Yeah. I can't think of a better answer than that. Um, speaking of Mr. Freeze and the character, now we know that you're not the first one to play Mr. Freeze technically, so I gotta ask, have you seen Batman and Robin and Arnold Schwarzenegger's portrayal of Mr. Freeze? And if so, what did you think of it at the time? Well, I have to say, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I have not seen it, uh, because, you know, uh, You'd think that I would kind of do my homework on the, the legacy of the role that the other actors that have played it, but um, no, I've, I've actually never seen it. I mean, I've seen, you know, some still shots, and, uh, you know, he looks, wow, he looks, you know, he looks amazing, uh, but I, I haven't seen it. I mean, of course, I've heard, I've heard about all the, all the puns that were in the script. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which that's that's uh, yeah, but no, I haven't I haven't actually seen it. We're, but, we're gonna... but you know, um, I think I think I have a don't I have a couple of I'll be backs in the, the episode. Did oh, really? Really? I, I don't think we've gotten that. Yeah, yet. I mean, yeah. Well, a few people have mentioned it to me. They're like, oh yeah, I got that. But I say it once to Nora when I'm leaving to go to the pharmacy. That's right. And that's then right. I, I sort of mutter it to the pharmacist as I'm leaving that's to go right. get my gear on to come back from freezing. I say, I'll be back. Oh, and, my you know, goodness. I didn't even think, think about we, that. I think we knew what we were doing. That is absolutely amazing. And by the way, talking about doing your homework, the fact this is one of those times where not doing your homework paid off you didn't need to see it yours okay. is way better in our okay. opinion so don't even worry about it as a matter of fact you, avoid you. it at all costs if you can because we wish okay. we kind of okay. could okay. <laughs> well if i go if i go really dry with the part you know maybe i'll uh maybe i'll you know if, if you're looking for more maybe puns maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 maybe so, if you want to go to punning direction yeah. <laughs> so nathan before i let you go man where can people find more about you and uh are you on social media at all no i'm not um uh, no i'm not uh, that's okay you're just missing more puns there anyway <laughs> yeah but of course, so people can go into like IMDb and check you out, right? Do you have a website or anything? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, IMDb, yeah. You can see. Um, I guess, yeah. You can see like what I'm up to, and uh, you know, a couple of things I've done other than other than Gotham, and you know, hopefully there'll be more things. So, yeah. Well, we definitely want more Victor Freeze on Gotham, which you can see every Monday night sure. at eight o'clock on Fox. And we're so excited for Mr. Freeze, Victor Freeze, either way. Nathan Darrow, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks a lot. Well, James, we might have to make this quick because my order for an industrial freezer just came in. And I'm guessing that you're going to put something in there that you want to keep safe until you find a way to make it better? Yeah, probably, you know, between my Phantom Pop and maybe, I don't know, my Darth Vader figure. I don't know. Uh, Darth Vader would actually be a really good choice. As long as it's not Han Solo, I think he's over that. <laughs> I think it's fine. But again, thanks to Nathan Darrow and our folks over at Fox for just setting this up. I mean, Nathan was just, it was phenomenal. It was fun. And I got to say, as I told him this, 
before we started the interview, I told him this off mic, I said, Mr. Freeze is by far my favorite Batman villain of all time. I know people say Joker, but Mr. Freeze is my favorite Batman villain of all time. And his portrayal is phenomenal. It like, really it's is. amazing. It really is. And and I've always said that I thought Mr. Freeze was the most underutilized Batman villain of all time. I mean, do you know how excited I was when we went to the first Tidewater Comic Con and we stopped by Matt Slay's booth and he had the yes. Batman Mr. Freeze print, which is still hanging in the nerd cave right now. I just love Mr. Freeze. And I think not only is he one of the greatest villains in, in the Batman mythos, the, sto- the origin story is probably the most tragic, by far, of any of the other Batman villains. And that's what makes Mr. Freeze such a great villain, is because his backstory, his origin, is so traumatic, and you feel for the guy. He's the one villain you really, truly feel for, and you're like, he's not really a bad guy, he just wants to find a cure for the woman that he loves. Right, and that's why when we when we're talking to Nathan, I asked him, does... Do you think Victor actually sees himself as a villain at this stage? Because how could he? Right. He's trying right. to save his wife. That's that's his only family right there. Exactly. And again, Nathan just captures it. I mean, that, again, that final scene where he's turning himself in and he see he goes, A12, A12, I figured yeah. it out. And he's that eureka moment. And you're like, oh, man, because there's two things. It's like. GCPD could have had him in custody yep. if they just listened to him, but then it's like, oh my god, there might be hope, but then again, we know what happens going forward. Not only that, but think about that for a second, and, and again, it goes back to the whole, does he think he's a villain? The guy turned himself in. Yeah. Okay? He turned, what supervillain in the Batman universe has ever turned themselves in like that? Especially in the early going, so the way that he has built this character... I think this is the Victor Freeze we've been waiting to see. Exactly. Exactly. Again, it's just a phenomenal job by everybody on Gotham. And again, thanks to Nathan Darrow and everybody from Gotham and Fox for just, you know, putting this together and it's it's great. Again, I can't wait to see more of Mr. Freeze and there was a photo really I quickly want to talk about where he is kind of in that full body suit now. Yep. yep. And I can't wait to see that in action. But that's gonna do it for this week's edition. Of the Down Nerdy Podcast, and thanks to everybody at Fox, especially our guest Nathan Darrow from Fox's Gotham, for coming on today and talking about Victor Freeze, and of course Gotham as well on Fox, which you can be seen on Fox Monday nights at eight. And hey, if you want more of us, we're on social media as well. We're on Facebook.com/slash Down Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at Down Nerdy Seven Five Seven. I'm at Merck with one R, Mister Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W I T H A M. You want to find us online? Do it. DownandNerdyPodcast.com. You can find out two other reviews that Nick and I do on the websites. What else Nick is reading? What else James is reading on the reviews tab right there at the top? The This Week section. That is your baby. If you want to keep up with the show every week, you click on that. It'll automatically play the week's episode. You can see what we're reading. You can actually find out how to purchase season two of Gotham on through our Amazon store, safe and secure, online, on demand. Right now, you can get the new episodes as they come, too. You don't even need to worry about it. As they pop up, you can watch it live, and then it'll pop up right on your Amazon Instant so you can re-enjoy it over and over and over. That's downandnerdypodcast.com. And we're also on Instagram as well at downandnerdy757 on the Instagram. That's where all our guest announcements are going now. A lot of photos we're putting up. We're also, hey, we'll put up some videos as well. And like I said, we have Taiwan Comic Con coming up in May. We're going to be there in a lot of our photos 
and and a lot of our stuff is going to be up on there as well. So be sure to follow us on Instagram. But hey, that's going to do it for our show. And I leave you with this as I do every week, nerds. Pray safe, comic reading. Always beg and board your comics, and the freeze is coming. <laughs>